we just had Andrea Shaw on the podcast. Andrea is a sponsorship marketing legend. She's the owner of TTG Canada, which she started in her kitchen in Vancouver. She moved 14 times as a kid, and I really think that led to her adaptability, her willingness to take strong, calculated risks. She went from being a teacher to nurse to jumping into the sports marketing sponsorship world. And, you know, Andrea is all about uniting people. She united a country with John Furlong and the team at the Vancouver Olympic Winter Games. And she's all about mindset. You know, soon into starting her company, 2010 Group at the time it was called, she received a cancer diagnosis. And she decided that, you know, she may have cancer, but cancer doesn't have her. And you'll hear about how she went about that and speaking with her kids and her employees about that. You know, for the first six months of starting her very first company, she said she had no money. She had to do it on her own dime. And she would only make anything if, you know, things things went well. And she got to the end of, I think, five or six months, was out of money, took a loan, was on her last month and made it happen. And that strikes me about Andrea. She will make it happen. Uh, they had to raise $760 million in sponsorship and in commercial fundraising revenue to make the games in Vancouver happen. Uh, we even speak about the very first day of the games or the pre pre day before the opening ceremonies when the loser from Georgia passed uh, tragically, and just how her herself and, and John Furlong united the team there in Vancouver. So this is an incredible episode where you're going to hear from a sports marketing legend. You're going to hear stories from the Olympic Games in Vancouver. You're going to hear her resiliency, her adaptability, and how she continues to charge on, to follow her passions and follow her energy. Enjoy the episode. Hey, I'm Jordan Harding. I grew up watching my dad put on that suit and tie every morning and go out to successfully climb the corporate ladder. I thought I wanted to be him, but I was wrong. I needed to be me. To do that, I had conversations with incredible people to learn how they figured out this whole thing called life. I learned how they overcome adversity and pick themselves up when they've been knocked down. Now, I'm sharing those discussions with you so you can apply those same learnings to your life. Welcome to It's Not a Straight Line. I'm so thrilled and honored and excited to have on this episode of It's Not a Straight Line, Andrea Shaw. Andrea began her career, I believe, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Andrea began her career as a nurse. She went on to become a trailblazer in the sports marketing world, uh, eventually becoming VP of Sponsorship Sales and Marketing at the Vancouver Olympic Committee for the 2010 Olympic and Paralympic Winter Games, VANOC, as many would know. She's the founder and managing partner of the 2010 Group, now known as TTG Partnerships, and the founder and visionary of Torque. Uh, that's where we met. I worked on at the 2010 Group and had an incredible three-year career there. Andrea, you are a trailblazer. You are a 2018 inductee into the Sponsorship Marketing Council of Canada. You've negotiated over a billion, one billion in partnerships. <laughs> And I know you have some incredible advice, and I know we're going to make an impact with this episode. Uh, so welcome to the show, Andrea. It's a pleasure to see you. 
Thanks so much, Jordan. It's it's fabulous to be here and to see you. Um, just fantastic. So I, I'm uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I'm I'm grateful. And, and you know what, Andrea? We'll start off. I, I I'd be interested. I, I believe you grew up in Quebec. You went to McGill. What path did you think you were going to be on? I think you did a bachelor of education. What what did you think your life was going to be? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. Um, I grew up in a family of five. I'm fourth of five. And we actually moved 15 times as a family. So uh, Montreal is where I call home. I was actually born in Chatham, Ontario, home of Fergie Jenkins, uh, but moved to Montreal. And Montreal really is when people say, where's home? But we did move. We moved abroad over to the UK um, for six or seven years, back to Canada, um, moving a lot. And I think, you know, when you, to your question, what did you think? I think growing up, I always, well, I always loved sports. I was nicknamed the gym rat in, in high school, Montreal. Um, but I also loved to play doctor, nurse and doctor. And I, I had a passion for caring for others, um, always, and I don't think I knew that, Jordan. I, I, it was just so innate in, in myself. Um, so I, I pursued that as a nurse and um, absolutely loved nursing, loved, loved, loved nursing. What happened, which changed my path, was my passion for sports and I was competing as a triathlon. I was competing in, in skiing. And when you're a nurse and you're, you're junior on the totem pole, you look up at your schedule and there you're switching from days to evenings to nights. And so that really didn't allow me to pursue my love of sports. Um, so I actually resigned full time, but I went back to McGill and actually did an education degree um, with a, a major in kinesiology, thinking that I wanted to get into sports medicine so I would combine my two passions in life, right? And um, so I went back to McGill. I nursed on weekends to get my way through McGill again, and then actually became, there weren't many jobs. It was in the early 80s, and sports medicine was so new. Um, I was really fortunate to get a job in Hull, Quebec, as a high school teacher, teaching phys ed and, um, and English as a second language, but I also became a school nurse. So I sort of combining these. So that was between my nursing and my, my entree into the, the field of sports marketing, which was in the mid 80s. So I, I don't think I knew, well, at early days, I, I had this passion for caring. But I, I didn't really say I want to be a nurse. I want to be a teacher. I want to go. I, I, I really followed my heart, and it's what I tell a lot of young people these days when I mentor people or I do graduation speeches at school. Um, you know, I think a lot of kids grow up where they're being told, "Oh, you should be this or pursue that," or you know, and and there's unfortunately pressure on kids that they've got to go in one direction or another. And I, 
I know in my own life, I followed my heart. And, you know, my parents, when I said I was resigning from a nurse and, and they said, Andrew, you've been working your way up. Um, why would you resign? And so then I went back and started as a teacher and started at square one again and built my way up. And I remember resigning and I I love teaching, but there was something missing. And that something was my 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 zest for business like business entrepreneurial. And I had started a little health fitness consulting company on the side of my teaching career. And that business side piqued my interest. So I left teaching, but I remember my principal saying, Andrea, you were born a teacher. You can't resign. But again, I, I, something in me, I didn't think I was courageous as a child or, or a, a, a young adult, but I, I guess I was because I resigned again from, from teaching, being told by my parents, when are you going to stop this changing career paths? And then I fell into sports marketing and I've never, I've never left. So you know, it's, it's an interesting path, but it's, 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 it's an up and down path, but it, it, it has been guided since day one, Jordan, by my heart. How many years uh, were you both say working in nursing and then working as a teacher? So I was nursed for six years, three of those full-time. And then I went part-time when I went back to McGill and I taught for three years. Um, I taught for three years, but in year two, I actually fractured my neck in one of my, in, I coached the gymnastics team. It wasn't a serious fracture, but it was enough to get me on my back. And the doctor said, don't go back to teaching. I did for a third year, um, but then uh, pursued my passion and fell into the sports marketing industry. That's so interesting because a lot of people listening to this would would be probably thinking similar to your parents. And I'm sure you heard it from both your parents and friends or romantic partners at the time. Andrea, you've got nursing, you've got teaching, two careers that can be pretty secure and steady, although we all know, you know, we won't get into nursing now, but it's very, very difficult career. People must have been like, you're you're crazy. You're crazy. That, that's exactly what my parents told me, Jordan. You're crazy. You're, you've got stable employment. Like, don't give it everything up. And I, I, I did. And, and, um, you know, I, I moved West, um, that my parents really thought I was crazy, but you know, I was always, I, I was pursuing my passion. So, you know, when you're happy, you can be crazy and happy. <laughs> It worked. And, and we say crazy. We don't mean that in a negative way. Like no, I no. that's incredibly courageous. And you followed what what your heart was telling you and maybe what what the universe or something out of side of you was giving you clues to follow. What about um where was I going with this? I was gonna say what oh, you're moving moving 14 times when you were a kid. Do you think that played into your ability to maybe take on some more risk? Well, yes, you know, it's a great question, Jordan, because people say, Oh God, poor you moving all those times. Um, but I think what it taught us as kids is how to be adaptable to change. Um, how when you can't 
you know, you can't control things and you're moving. I think it must have taught us um, the courage. I think courage is in there and, and adaptability to new surroundings and new circumstances and making new friends and meeting new people. Um, I can't help but think that that uh, those tools were built in my childhood. Um, and once the tool is built and it gets put in your toolkit, you know, you use it later in life and, and it can serve you well. And I, I do believe it served me well. Um, and many people, when I tell them that they feel sorry, but I don't feel sorry at all. That's amazing. Uh, the, the adaptability, and I can only imagine, you know, we'll get into what you do now, but even working in partnerships, in, in a lot of what you do is in sport and, and entertainment. And you think the pandemic, it brought a lot of that to its heels and, or to its feet. And then, you know, us as humans, we had to adapt. Um, just briefly, like, how did you fare during the pandemic? Did that adaptability really help you? I suppose it did. You know, I haven't thought of connecting those two pieces. Um, the Thursday that the world shut down, I'll never forget it, Thursday or Friday. Um, and I was walking to work and I think we were imminently shutting the office. And I thought, okay, we don't know. None of us knew what was happening. We thought, okay, a few weeks. But I did think right off the bat, I can either rest on my laurels and ride this wave and see what happens, or I can try to, to proactively be positive about the circumstances because the kids, all the, our staff were moving home. Um, we were shutting the office down as everybody was. So I immediately on the Monday divided the company into teams um, and there were five teams of three or four people on each team. And we challenged people that we put up five challenges of how we could make our company better. Wow. And they as a team worked on things like giving back to the community. Could we be better? Um, diversifying our business. Where could we diversify? And it did a couple of things. It you know, because we had offices in, in Calgary, Vancouver, Toronto, some people had never met. And so we did cross country team ups so that they met each other. We had one woman, um, Alex from Ireland, delightful, delightful woman. And she had just joined us a few weeks before the pandemic. So she didn't know anybody. And then when another fellow Ryan joined us, we hired him in the pandemic. So these task force teams really brought people together and it built teamwork, team skills. It brought people together that would never work. For example, some of our staff work on torque strategies, the other on TTG, and they don't work on the same project. So they don't really know each other. So what COVID did for us was really united our teams um, in a very positive way. Uh, did we get bumped and bruised badly by the, by the pandemic? Absolutely. Absolutely bumped, bruised. We're still feeling the bruises. 
but we're getting through it um, slowly but surely. And, and I think, you know, we have a choice in life on attitude and, and one's attitude can play a very, very important role in dealing with challenging situations. So we tried very hard to, to, to create a positive attitude amongst our team and, and all our members and, and lead with a positive attitude. I mean, heading into year two and, and people in Toronto was shut down far greater than, than British Columbia. Um, and it was tough. It was tough on our young um, who lived in, you know, little apartments. And so our role as leaders was to help boy the, mm-hmm. the team. And, and you might remember, Jordan, we started Chillin' Chats on mm-hmm. Fridays. Yeah. Uh, the very first week we opened the doors and we didn't really know what we were doing. We just called it Chillin' Chat and Friday afternoon at four o'clock, pens down, computers off, and we'd pull out a cold beer and chill and chat. And, and some were formal meetings, but most were very just whatever topic was discussed and chill and chats through COVID. Also, it was uniting Mm. our team uh, together in a social, um, uh, a social coming together while we couldn't physically we were together and we felt together. And there were times in Toronto where we would meet in the park and we'd all bring our beer and a bag and a blanket. And we sat six feet apart from one another. So we tried very hard to keep the team, you know, up during that very, very difficult time for everybody. So there's, there's two themes there that I they think are kind of themes throughout your life, Andrea, and I think will become a theme of this discussion, you know, uniting, uniting people, uniting a country, uniting a globe or a global group of people. And then the other one was mindset. Uh, and I always was was amazed with your your mindset. And just a funny anecdote, I don't know if you know the Miami Dolphins head coach, I think his name is Mike McDaniel. He had a shirt on. <laughs> And he was trolling the Buffalo Bills fans, but really it was a mindset for him and his team. It said, I wish it was colder because they knew the game in Buffalo on Saturday night was going to be extremely cold. And he walked around Friday with a, I wish it was colder shirt. And I think that was his mindset of saying, let's go. Oh my God. <laughs> I did hear about that. And didn't they do well until the last minute or two and the yeah. Bills won in the last play or something? They, they almost won. And I'm amazed at this coach because his interview even said like, you know, sometimes the losses are better for the teams than the wins because it might wake them up. Sometimes you can be winning as a team and you're winning so much that you don't identify issues. And I know from working with you, you can, can relate. I did want to ask Andrea, like you moved into sports marketing at, uh, I don't know if it was the late eighties, the nineties, and and we don't, we don't need to get into that, but you became a, a female powerhouse. Um, and you are a, you are a powerhouse. We don't need to bring gender into it in the sports marketing world, but you came in at a time, I think where it, you might've experienced your own bumps and bruises, not literally, but bumps and bruises. What was it like? Uh, kind of, if you, if you say some things up to the bit of the games, like just trying to find your way. 
Yeah, it it's uh, so it was the mid 80s. I am dating myself, but it was mid 80s when I when I fell into an opportunity to work for an agency uh, who was based in Toronto. And um, I had a passion, as I said earlier, I was a, a competitive skier and I had a passion to move to the West. I just was determined to get to Vancouver and Whistler. And um, and so I was flying to, I was at CIBC at the time and I, our agency of record landmark sport group, we were flying to Montreal and this will date myself too, to do a headgear deal with Patrick Huab, the Montreal Canadians for $5,000. Wow. So it was a long time ago. <laughs> $5,000. And, um, and he, my, this founder of this agency, um, Elliot Kerr said, have you ever wanted to move to the West? And and I said, yes, I, I, I so have. And he said, well, I need somebody. To, I want to open a Western office for our agency. And he said, are you, are you interested? And I went interested. I'll move. Well, again, my parents went, you're what? You're leaving CIBC in Toronto with a very secure job to go out West, no salary. I had to open the office on my own dime. But if I made it work, I would own 50% of the company, the Western office. Mm -hmm. But if it didn't work, i.e. I lost money, the risk was all mine, not shared. And I was so passionate about moving to West, the West coast, I accepted. And my, this is when my parents really thought I had lost it, but I was so passionate. So I resigned from my job at CIBC and moved to Vancouver. Um, and I will, cause it was blood, sweat and tears for six months and I had run out of money. And I said to Elliot, listen, I can't go on. It was December um, I said, I can't go on. I've, I've run out of money. And he said, what would it take to keep you going for another month? Because I'd really pounded the pavement and I was making head roads, but I wasn't, didn't have a contract. And he said, I'll lend you $5,000. And I said, okay, well, that can last me a couple of months. I signed my first contract about six weeks later with the Vancouver Sun Run. And all, all I asked them was for $5,000 and I blew them out of the water. We, I did their strategy and we increased the runners like a hundredfold. We increased sponsorship a hundredfold and I had $5,000 to pay Elliot back, but I knew that contract would, would renew. So I, I stayed and that's where I started my first business as an entrepreneur. And in fact, a few years later, I ended up buying Elliot out of the Western office because my path was a bit more different than his um, in terms of what our core businesses were. And so I bought him out. And that's when I cut my teeth being a, an entrepreneur. And I think you also cut your teeth. I think you were an agent for a few people too, right? Did Marnie yeah. McBean, is that correct? Uh, Marnie wasn't on our roster, no, sorry. but Silken Lauman, Silken Lauman Katrina that's who Lame I meant. Doan, Karen Lee Gartner. Um, uh, oh, we had lots of Blue Jay players because Blue Jays, um, CIBC owned 10% of the Blue Jays. Yeah, I was an agent wow. for 
and that's what Landmark did. But when I bought Elliot out and started my own, we stopped representing athletes. And then, you know, we could go on and on and maybe in the, in a year or two from now, there could be a second episode of this with Andrea, but Andrea, I do want to get to the bid of the Olympic games. And I am interested. How did you get wrapped into that? And yeah. How did you get involved? Yeah. Great question. So I was um, at the time I was um, I'd sold my business And I was just consulting because my kids were young, 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 Mm -hmm. and I was consulting on projects and I was asked to consult on the bid um, in the area of marketing communications. And so I was consulting and then they invited me full time to head up the communication side of the bid. So I actually jumped on board in 2001 and was VP of communications for the bid. We went to Prague in 2003, came home to Canada as custodians of the Olympic brand, and then was asked to head up the marketing, um, sponsorship sales and marketing side of Vanock. And so 10 years later, I completed that little chapter in my career journey. (laughs) Just a little chapter. And I mean, we could, yeah, we could talk about that forever. But what was your response after you won the bid or your team won the bid? Did you know you were going to stay involved with the Olympics the whole way through? No, no, not at all. In fact, um, because once you win the bid, the bid shuts down and then they hire a a CEO um, and then the team is hired up from there. So nobody had the guarantee of going from the bid to the games. So I decided I'd start my little company up again. And so I was all set uh, consulting, back consulting. um, When I got a call from John Furlong and Dave Cobb saying, will you come back and head up the market sales marketing and uh, I I did because it was the opportunity to work with those two amazing individuals, and um, yeah, so I I got back on the on the Vanock team, and and um, you know it was it was an amazing amazing uh, opportunity, and and I'm forever grateful. Was it was it challenging? Oh my goodness, it was <laughs> like crazy challenging, but a journey that that you know has has really built my toolkit into uh you know being as courageous as, as I've ever been was through that journey and I, since this podcast a lot of people a lot of what I like to speak about Andrea is resiliency right and you've been resilient so many times uh in your career from the perspective of an onlooker uh, I want to bring you back to the first like day of the opening ceremonies. I think the gentleman was Nomar Nodar, and I'm going to pronounce his name incorrectly, but he was the Ge- Georgian loser. And so you've come this far, um, you know, what, since 2003, building everything. You have all these commercial sponsor deals. You have the world looking on. And unfortunately, that tragic accident happens. Can you take me back to how you think you and your team and, and John really came together united so that you could unite the world and 
know, is there one key learning you have that you can pass on from those tough days? Yeah, you know, as you recounted that, Jordan, my goosebumps, just my head shivered um, to think back at that time. It was horrific. Um, the team completely, you know, you can imagine we were just all in shock. Um, and I will I will do a shout out to John Furlong, who was in as much shock as we all were. But he, again, said, you know, it's easy to lead in, in good times. Good leaders show up in bad times. And that was, um, that was a very, very horrific time. But John stood up and somehow lifted us as a team. And because we were so united as a team, because John fostered teamwork through the games um, so beautifully that we united as a team and got up and over that. But was it horrifically hard? Yes, it was probably one of the hardest days of my career for sure, without question, without question. But, you know, it, it's again, we've got a choice and we either proactively, you know, it's, it's, be resilient to these challenging times and and face them face them with, uh, you know, the right attitude. It happened and we have to keep going. We have to keep going. And we did. And the days following were not easy either, but we, we kept, you know, the team kept going. Is there, uh, is there anything, I guess you moved a lot. So there's a lot of change. You know, I believe your father was, was also a successful businessman or business person, you know, Andrea, you had such a successful or Canada had such a successful Olympic Games. And thanks to people like John Furlong, yourself, Bill, the whole team, the whole the athletes. You know, you come away from that experience, you you launch 2010 group, which the name so fittingly fits. You know, there's, there's a diagnosis you can touch on, but I, I you seem to have this ability to just keep choosing to move forward. Where did, where did that come from? Or did you just develop that? And I assume it's a bit of both. Yeah. You know, I think it is a bit of both. Um, it is a bit of both. Um, you know, when I decided to open TTG Canada, as you said, comprised of TTG partnerships and torque, um, it was about a year out from our games. And I was thinking to myself, okay, what, what's my next chapter when the games end? And because the 10 years at the games bid and, and the organizing committee was a basically a 10 year learning laboratory. And yes. I had been in the industry for so long and we had to turn the traditional uh, sponsorship ways on their head, traditional ways of doing sponsorship. We had to, because we had to raise $760 million. Um, and I thought, I've learned so much. I owe it to bring the, these learnings back to the community. Mm. Um, and that was the impetus for starting my company. Was it risky? Was it scary? It sure was, because we certainly didn't make, you know, grand salaries at the games. And, and um, 
but I really felt strongly that I wanted to bring these learnings back to the market and the industry that I've been in for so long. And that's what propelled me um, to open the doors of TTG Canada. Um, I jumped off the cliff and, and hired two or three people and we started in my kitchen and here we are. And, and even uh, I think within a few months after that, um, was, did you have a health challenge? I think you've told me in the past. I sure did. So we opened the doors in June of 2010. I signed, I had three or four people on salaries, signed a lease in Vancouver, signed a shared office space in Toronto. And in October of 2010 was diagnosed with um, colon cancer. That really sort of stopped me in my tracks. I will, I uh, really stopped me in my tracks. And I said to myself, okay, do I move forward or do I cut my losses short? Because prognosis wasn't great. Um, Do I cut my losses short, you know, let go of the people I hired, let go of my leases Mm -hmm. and just take care of my health. And it was at that juncture where I thought, I said to my staff and to my kids the same word. I said, listen, I've got bad news and I've got good news. And I said, the bad news is I've been diagnosed with cancer. The good news is cancer does not have me. Mm. And it was at those words that set me on my way to say I'm going to, you know, fuck cancer. Excuse my thing. Yeah, you can swear on this podcast. All good. And that was the road I decided to take was one of you're going to get better. You're going to get better. And I had so much support um, in particular, my sister who lives in Vancouver, who took care of my kids, but, um, and John Furlong was a mental, really saved my mental side from, from being defeated and boom, I, I, was steadfast um, in cancer does not have me. And I, I never stopped working. I didn't go into the office every day. The odd time I'd go in with my chemo bottle in my pocket and the staff would go, oh God, Andrea. But I, I kept going because I had to. And, yeah. and six months later, I, I, I was on my way to recovery. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. And I, I think, Andrew, I could tell you more another time, but for anyone who didn't hear Laura Brown's episode too, they should go back and listen. And I don't know, yeah. Andrew, if you know Laura, she works at MLSE, great supporter of what I do at the Princess Margaret. She had cancer too, I think 36, 37. 18 oh. months after her, she ran a uh, her first Ironman. No way. Yeah, and now oh. she's run three. And her saying, just like I love your saying of, cancer doesn't have me hers was I could ask why me forever but it why ask why me it, it was me it was me yeah it didn't matter yeah and yeah. Um, her doctor thought she was crazy when she jogged to her cancer appointments at Princess Margaret but she said well whatever that's me <laughs> oh I love it oh I love it I'll go back and, and listen <laughs> but uh that that's incredible you know what Andrea and there's so many misconceptions like as someone who I I gotta imagine I think I started a year and a half or two years after you started TTG um Canada or TTG partnerships I I was under the impression like after you running your business and then working as a VP for 
the uh, Van Ock that you were maybe coming into it with some money. And it's funny the misconceptions people can sometimes have when people are grinding away. They're not understanding what's going on behind the scenes. So kudos, kudos to you and kudos to, to the mindset you had. Um, I did want to ask Andrea, and by the way, just for the record, the 760 million you had to raise, I believe you overachieved that. Is that correct? Well, the first number in the bid book was 453 million that we had to raise. But as the costs of the games went up, our budget targets went up 450, 550, 650, 760 million, 65 million dollars we raised. Yeah. That's just incredible. And what a legacy that games has left. Um, you know, it's got to still be one of the best, if not the best in terms of even what it left for Vancouver and for Canada. So kudos to you, John, and the whole team there. I did want to ask you, Andrea, so what's going on now? You know, you've won this Invictus Games bid that I believe your company's working on and it has a special story. So tell us a little bit about what, what's going to be coming to Vancouver and, and why, why you wanted to get involved with that project. Yeah, you know, it's really exciting. We were invited, the custodians of the brand in Canada's True Patriot Love, and they invited us a year and a half ago to help write the sponsorship chapter of their bid book, which, um, you know, Bill, he he led the role doing that. And then they asked me to go over and present our bid uh, in London this past February, Jan, Feb. And um, we were up against New York and Seattle and Canada was awarded. So a huge, huge, um, huge win for Canada. So the Invictus Games come in 2025. Um, we are helping them on the sponsorship strategy side of the architecture, et cetera. But it's, you know, the Invictus Games is ever so relevant in today's world you know, with what's going on in the Ukraine and, and Iran and all these things. And there are so many um, untold stories of these heroes who have fought for our country and many countries around the world. Um, and the Invictus Games brings 20, 25 countries together to honor people that have served for their countries. And so they come and it's not about the medal. It's not about the win. You know, some of these athletes um, have no legs and they go in the swimming event or they're, they're mentally wounded and physically wounded. And the Invictus Games is a games to recovery. And there's all kinds of stories, um, you know, one where... Um, in a in some race that I'm told that the the fellow with no legs had was coming way back of the pack in a swimming event it was and instead of everybody everybody else finished and they all went back and swam back to the finish line with him right beside wow. him and it's powerful for these athletes um, there's all kinds of of interviews of how these games have helped them you know, help them cure their mental uh, illnesses or their wound, you know, their wounds. It's an incredibly powerful event. 
And it's all about participation and recovery of these people that that really deserve the recognition because they've they've served for our countries, uh, their their countries. Um, and so it's a very powerful event. And so what are the dates? Do you know the month or dates already when it will be? Uh, I should know right off the top, but it will be February. It's a hybrid games, Vancouver and Whistler Okay. in February of 2025. And Andrea, if anyone wants to, you know, get it, get a hold of you to talk about careers or they're interested in TTG or they are interested in sponsoring or getting involved in some way in the Invictus games, what's the best way to get a hold of you and your team? Just email me, Andrea, at ttgcanada.com, and I will respond. There you go. I'll, I'll put that into the notes. And Andrea is an entrepreneur. She will respond, too, which is, is great. And do you still ski? Do you get up to Whistler? You talked about being a competitive skier in your past. I'm sitting here looking up at the mountain as we speak, Jordan. <laughs> So Andrea, to get you out onto the mountain or whatever you're going to do with the rest of your day, I have three, what I call these zigzag questions, because it's not a straight lines about, you know, you zig and you zag a little bit, you know, number one, you've, you've had such an amazing career and you're still pushing. And that's what amazes me. What drives you and continues to get you out of your bed every morning and do what you do? Passion, passion, passion. I love what I do. Um, I I really do love what I do. And and when you love what you do, success follows. That's that's an amazing answer. Is there anything, because a lot of, you know, 20s and 30-year-olds listen to this podcast, is there anything you'd go back and you'd want to advise or tell your, say, your early 30s self or your late 20s self about life or careers? You know, that's a great question. And, and my next my next chapter of my journey will be motivational speaking to young women, um, women in need. Um, and so what I would tell my young self is have courage, have confidence, and don't don't worry. We're all human. Um, you know, take steps forward and, and let your voice be heard. And uh, I, I didn't have that confidence in my twenties and thirties. Um, so that's, I, I have courage, have confidence and let your voice be heard. Let your voice be heard. And, you know, I think that's an amazing next step for your career. And since this will be audio, people didn't see me, but I put my fist up just cheering, cheering you on there, Andrea. And the last one, like, is there anything from your, your career or your life that something you may not necessarily regret, but you might have learned from and what, what's the lesson you can share? Ooh, that's a good one. I've made many, many, <laughs> many mistakes. <laughs> um, I've made many mistakes. Um you know, I think the, the, the biggest lesson, and I tell my kids, I tell young, never, ever, ever burn a bridge. Um, never burn a bridge because people were all human and the world is a very small place. And never, ever burn a bridge because it may come back to haunt you. Treat everybody with respect. Treat everybody the way you want to be treated yourself. 
Um, and the world can be a pretty good place when you, when you behave that way. Okay. And my one quick follow-up because I, I went there in my mind and I'm sure the listener will too, uh, without naming any specifics or a name, I'm sure you have at least burned one bridge in the past or are you, have you never done that? Oh, I would say I've veered very close. Okay. Because uh, I veered close before. I don't think I've ever burned a bridge, but I veered close. And as you said that, I'm like, oh, crap. Like, I'm not perfect. But I think you said it before. Humans are not perfect. So hum- None of us are perfect. And hopefully we all go to our graves yearning to learn. That's awesome. Well, Andrea, thanks so much for doing this. I'm grateful for your time. Great to see you, Jordan. Thank you. What did you take away from our chat today? I'd love to know. Let me know on Instagram at It's Not A Straight Line or connect with me on LinkedIn. If this episode was helpful, would you mind leaving me a review on whatever podcast app you use? I'd really appreciate it. You can always go back to previous episodes to hear more insightful conversations to help you build your own unique life. Thanks for listening to It's Not A Straight Line. Until next time.